Hello and welcome to One on One. My name is Stephen Sloan and Donald Trump thinks I'm a communist. And joining me live from the nation's capital, my very own brother Mick. How you doing, bro, bro? I'm doing well. So uh, I know you were referencing Donald Trump calling Bernie Sanders a communist mm-hmm. this morning, uh, which actually was such an obvious critique for him to throw at him. I'm kind of surprised that he hasn't done it already. Yeah, that, yeah. But he, I think he would actually think that we were communists if he listened to us talk for a couple of seconds, if he were to, for example, listen to this podcast. Well, yeah, I, I think you mean when he listens to this podcast. Uh, yeah, I, I hope he does. Well, he's already an avid listener of ours. But yeah, he clearly doesn't know what communism is, so he probably would think we were communists. But in any event, uh, yeah, so we are, we're both in the uh, in the D.C. area. Yep, once again. And uh, you can feel the sort of the end of the era. Obama's presidency is, in, is well into its final year now. And uh, his replacements, his potential replacements, or successors, I should say, are really just fighting it out right now and yeah. there there's been a lot of focus on how ugly the republican primary has been but that was sort of not unexpected as soon as trump started to gain traction but i think that some people weren't prepared for how chippy and somewhat animus the democratic primary has been and so that's kind of what we're going to dig into today yeah we figured um we're both registered Democrats, we're both liberal guys, and we're both genuinely conflicted about this race. And so, since we kind of think that Tuesday's a watershed moment for this primary, uh, that we should probably talk about uh, Bernie and Hillary a little bit today. So, if you're not into politics, we apologize. Uh, we'll, we'll catch you next week. But, yeah, that's kind of, we're going to go a little bit into Bernie versus Hillary today. But here's, here's the thing, and I think that this is an important distinction to make. Uh, This is not going to be a divisive conversation. I think that if you're at all interested in who wins the president, the presidency, regardless of which candidate you support or even which party you support, or if you don't have one that you've picked at all, I do think that we're going to touch on some things that are entirely irrespective of who we actually support. I think that what's probably going to be our main goal here is we're going to get into what types of emotions and political thought are these two candidates tapping into, how that's working, how it's not working. And I think that any case that we make for either of these candidates really isn't going to be a pitch for you all as much as sort of looking into what the best case we think each person could make for themselves could be. Do you think that's a good way to describe what we're doing? Yeah, right. Definitely. This isn't like We're not even exactly taking sides on this one. We're just kind of looking at, okay, there are are very good things about both of these candidates. Um, And sometimes that um, feels like it gets lost in how, uh, like you said, how much much, uh, animus has been present in this primary race. And yeah, so we just wanted to kind of, you know, talk about each candidate, their, their pros and cons, and the best, sort of the best arguments, like you said, that they can make for themselves so basically to sort of before we get into the the real specifics to sort of set the basic context for this democratic primary initially there were five candidates but three of them were not very seriously considered so now at this point it's been down to hillary clinton and bernie sanders for several months and they're pretty much polar opposites from a political narrative perspective Clinton has been in the very public eye for the past 25 years, ever since uh, 1991 when her husband, Bill Clinton, started his run for president. And she was very active in his White House. 
She was a U.S. senator for eight years after he left the presidency. And I think maybe the most the most prominent moment of her political career before this point was that she was the presumptive nominee in 2008. Yeah. And um, she ended up getting swept out of the way by Obama. And now she has been the presumptive Democratic nominee literally since after Obama's election. And then out of nowhere comes Bernie Sanders, who has been hiding in plain sight. He's been in Congress for decades, but he had no national profile until now. Yeah, he had, he had kind of stepped in as as the new the new Joe Lieberman, you know, that sort of one random independent senator and all of a sudden just kind of came into uh, a situation where he felt like he could race and eventually win the nomination for the president. It's been sort of a a meteoric rise of sorts for him. And yeah, exactly what you're saying. They're almost, I mean, polar opposites. Hillary's been building her reputation and her record longer than both of us have been alive. Uh, Whereas with Bernie Sanders, it feels like he almost came into the spotlight overnight. So Sanders kind of caught your attention and your imagination pretty soon after he declared, if I remember correctly, or declared his run. Do you want to sort of get into the more specific case of what is he what does he represent who is he trying to sell and what are the specifics of his campaign yeah so uh, a little bit of background as to uh as to this i i realized relatively young that democrat wasn't exactly the moniker that that expressed my political beliefs well enough and so i don't know i guess i must have been 17 or 18 and i kind of shopped around for parties uh as it were like i because arlington is such a deep blue area i've actually voted green in most uh local elections because there's no real threat of of conservative power here i've never felt like i needed to vote democratic to protect that because obviously in a two-party system i i focus more on the democratic party than the republican party but i realized after some research that um i am most aligned with the Democratic Socialist Party, uh, which is obviously very small. But Bernie Sanders is uh, describes himself proudly as a Democratic Socialist. And for me, it meant a lot because socialist has been such a misdefined term in this country. When you think socialism, you think Stalinist Russia, you think Maoist China, when really, I mean, if you look in Europe... Well, more specifically, hang on, if I can mm, just jump yeah. in... A lot of people think communist. Right. They yeah. they think that socialism and communism are synonymous, and that's why, like I said, it was so inevitable that Donald Trump would call Sanders a, a communist. But yeah, so when you look at it, really, I mean, you look at France is probably the most famous example of a socialist economy, uh, and so it's not it's not as repressive or government controlled as a lot of people in this country think it is. And so hearing Bernie Sanders proudly call himself a socialist meant a lot to me because it finally felt like I didn't have to feel weird about saying that I was a socialist. And he, he's, his candidacy is one predicated predominantly on wealth inequality in this country and specifically focusing on the way the banking system in a lot of ways has created this economic divide. And yeah, so I, I was kind of drawn to that that idea because i think that in this country you see people like martin shkreli who is a great example 
where um, money has replaced morality in a lot of circles, too many for my taste. Uh, and I think that's because of the system that we have in place. Uh, and it, I appreciate that Bernie seems to understand that and genuinely wants to move to a more humanist economic attitude. And that's not necessarily to say that he, he believes that everything should be socialized, because at the end of the day, what socialism is, is government control of the means of production uh, in a lot of cases. And that obviously doesn't work in a, in a lot of situations. But the way I always say it is, and I think the way that Bernie talks about it, is there are some things that are just too important to leave to the free market. Because when you have people trying to make money on whether somebody else can buy a house, or if you have people trying to make money on uh, somebody else's health, those aren't situations where people should be trying to make money because it, it immediately creates a predatory environment because you have one person in a position of power who is, whatever the results may be, to a certain extent trying to exploit another person and use them for personal well, gain. I, I think ex I think exploit might be a bit too strong of it or a bit too weighted of a term. Yeah, yeah, no, use them for yeah. personal gain. Yeah, but yeah, is a better way to say certainly it. Yeah. rather than just, for example, the person who is purchasing the health insurance or the person who is purchasing the home is not the only person seeking to benefit from the transaction. Yeah, and and it's not that's not necessarily a bad thing, but when it's left unchecked, as it has largely in this country. Um, you get situations like the banking crisis. You get situations like the state of healthcare in this country, where there is such a gap between how much something costs and what you get, because so much of the concern is about how much money they make from the transaction. Seeing Bernie Sanders run this campaign where he really like went at these systems that so many people have understood to be corrupt and that need to be fixed was really refreshing to me, especially given my my political beliefs that's kind of why i appreciate his candidacy and we'll go we can go a little bit more into nuts and bolts but um i just wanted to give an overview before we kind of get into the nitty-gritty you want to talk a little bit about clinton yeah and and i think a little bit is really the way i put it because i'm not going to take much time explaining to people who hillary clinton is <laughs> yeah um yeah. Every, everyone who has been even remotely engaged in politics in the past two decades knows who Hillary Clinton is. I think that all that really needs to be said about her is, for starters, there's a big promise on her behalf, and I think a big premise of her campaign is that the last eight years and Obama's two terms have been relatively good for the United States, and that while there's still a lot of people who are struggling, things were in a really, really dire place when he took office in January 2009. And a lot of his policies have done work to, to reverse that destruction and to change it to admittedly somewhat slow and incremental growth. And I think that it's difficult for people to embrace a candidate who promises more of the same when the same has not been exactly what people have wanted. Uh, I, I don't think that, for example, I think that if Obama were to return for a third term, which obviously cannot happen, but I think if that were Yet. to happen, I don't think that that would be a problem. I think that there it would be like much like the first eight years of his of his presidency, where he did a lot of good things, he did some bad things, but that's been the case for 
every president and especially someone under the unique pressures of his administration yeah and uh, obviously all of this conversation will operate from a place of bias so i just want to say that out front i don't think we need to keep going back to that but i genuinely believe as unbiased as i can be if you look at obama's presidency with clear eyes it's difficult to argue that the good doesn't outweigh the bad He's not perfect. Nobody is perfect. But I think if you look honestly, you can say that most of what he's done has been pretty good. And so Hillary's argument is exactly that. What he's been doing has been more good than bad. And so why don't we just keep doing that? Yeah, and and she has and she's wrapped that sort of central message and premise in the really undeniable weight of her experience and her credibility. And the thing is, yeah. regardless of how you feel about her, whether she's too much of a politician, regardless of whether you don't always know if she means everything she's saying or if she's changed her mind or everything like that, that doesn't change the fact that she has been in public service for her entire career. She's been in two White Houses under two different administrations, which actually, I'm going to get into this later, but I think actually acts to her detriment as a candidate. She's the most qualified person on foreign policy by an unbelievable margin. Yeah, yeah on either side. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Just just purely mm-hmm. based on the fact that she has actually, she's served in sec- as Secretary of State, and that experience, I think, is invaluable. And I think also it stands to note, and uh, John Favreau, who is one of Obama's former speechwriters, has pointed this out numerous times, that... Clinton's title was Secretary of State, but her impact on the administration went a good deal further than just that department. And that it was she was very clearly the most respected and involved in of all of Obama's cabinet members. That Obama would often ask each of his cabinet members, his secretaries, to discuss their own issues in their own departments, and then Clinton he would ask to weigh in on everything. Clinton was a very important part in developing the Affordable Care Act. And yeah, so I I think that she did a lot of work for that administration. I think that she really wants people to believe that she's going to continue that administration, which is something that a lot of people like. 50% of the nation currently approves of the job Obama's doing as president, which, given how divided this country is, I think is actually a pretty good number. And I think 88% of Democrats approve of of his job. And it's uh, it's worth mentioning that the fact that she was so important in Obama's administration actually speaks to her as a politician or, or maybe her as a person, because their campaign, their primary campaign was famously contentious. And there was a lot of bad blood that came out of both sides. And so the fact that she was able to then reconcile with him and they were able to work in a meaningful and clearly very respectful way um i think says a lot about some of the things that people that concern people about her yeah absolutely and i think that actually that was a big point favreau made was that i don't think people ever have given clinton or he didn't think that people have ever given clinton credit for how likable she is by virtue of the fact that she's been in the public eye for so long that it has impacted um or she's been in the public eye for so long that it's made her such a an inherently cautious person, publicly speaking, that she has to really worry about everything she says, that she can't make a mistake no matter what. 
And to be honest, I understand why she's so guarded. I mean, people don't really talk about this, but her her husband had an affair and it was one of the biggest political scandals in the history of the country. Yeah, and so she had to watch this very private, very, I mean, frankly, humiliating situation. She had to watch that play out publicly. Yeah, and it, and it's she's she's had these very these very mudslingy accusations thrown at her about that how sort of she's not like she's not enough for bill how she's really just every every place of her career she has really been dumped on and some of the things some of the criticism leveled at her of course have been fair some of them Mm -hmm. have been unfair and some of them have pushed past unfair to outwardly antagonistic and unreasonable and i think Mm -hmm. that given all of that if she sounds very scripted in her campaign, in her campaign speeches, and even occasionally in her debates, I think it's kind of hard for her not to be because she's been in the public eye so long. Her record is so extensive and so public that inevitably people are going to throw things back at her that she did 20 years ago. And I think that people never really will understand that a lot of Obama's staffers and a lot of people in the Senate and even Republicans in the Senate really enjoy working with clinton i mean the fact that she has relationships with members of banks in new york even though i mean she's certainly not a fiscally conservative politician you know it it wouldn't it's not great that she's really close with some members of banks but i think it also says that she can be a very effective relationship builder yeah and and it's difficult because there's an attitude that prevails and neither of us are, are safe from this, I, I would say. There's this attitude that, that if you disagree with somebody, and especially if you disagree strongly with somebody, that you, you can't like or respect them as a human being, divorced from their job. Obviously, this has been a subject of a lot of discussion for us uh, in the wake of Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia's death who very famously had a, an incredibly close relationship with uh, Justice Ginsburg, despite you know virtually being on opposite sides of the moral, political, what-have-you spectrum. And so I think people see Hillary Clinton's relationship with Wall Street and they assume that just because she doesn't antagonize them, that means she can't be tough enough on them because she doesn't hate them. And I don't know enough about her relationship with Wall Street. And obviously, I think Bernie's pushing it too hard, but I would like to see what she said to them in these speeches that she gives. But I don't think it's fair to assume that just because she doesn't hate Wall Street the way like Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders do, that that doesn't mean she may not that she doesn't believe that they need to be reined in and and stopped from some of these really shady practices. Yeah, exactly. So here here's a big topic I kind of wanted to dive into on these two candidates, which is... Uh, can I go into one thing really quick? Yeah, go ahead. Because uh, this is not scientific or political at all, but I do think there's something to this. Beside the, the actual policy and ideological differences between these two candidates, I, I think we also are seeing something that uh, is very prevalent in sports specifically in football there's an adage about football Uh, you ask who's the most popular player on an nfl football team and the answer is the backup quarterback and that's because you watch the quarterback play and you see all of these good things that they do but oftentimes it's the negatives that stick in your mind meanwhile the backup quarterback 
you think, okay, he's probably really good. Um, maybe he's better than our than our starting quarterback. And what what you really like about the backup is that you don't actually know what you're going to get. Whereas with the starter, you you've watched them, you know what you're going to get. And I think that's a lot of what's going on with Bernie and Hillary is that Hillary has been in the public eye so long. And to a certain extent, people want the unknown rather than the known. Um, And so they're like, okay, I know what Hillary's about. I don't really care for it. Let's go to this guy who has a a much less, obviously, longstanding involvement with the public eye. And so people can imagine all of the great things that he's capable of even though we have no proof one way or the other how he would govern what kind of politician he's like we know so little about him and and that allows us to kind of imagine that he must be better than hillary yeah and that's absolutely a good point and i think that that's a great illustration of how while i said that a lot of the premise of clinton's campaign is a promise to continue the things that obama has done well and to do better at the things that he hasn't done well at that doesn't change the fact that she is still selling the promise of for a lot of people an unsatisfactory um administration and you know Mm -hmm. and i look i'm not going to hide my bias i I can't be objective on Obama in part because I I agree with so many of his ideological um, principles, and in part just because I can't I can't bring myself to really be honestly critical about him as a man sometimes because I have so much respect for the person that he is. But that mm-hmm. doesn't change the fact that it's very understandable that people look at the policies that have been in place over the past decade and think. Well, I don't know if I want that. What if we can do better than that? And then, so we see Sanders, who not only is completely unknown and different, but he's also just completely different from anything that we've ever seen in the White House before. I think. Well, well, in in I mean, you look at somebody like uh, FDR has been brought up a lot. FDR is about as close to democratic socialism as this country has gotten, but certainly it's he is as different as can be from what we've seen in the white house for over a half century yeah yeah and i and i think that sanders i think would do even wants to do even more than fdr did in terms of democratic socialism but i think and actually speaking of known versus unknown i think that this race is an interesting illustration of the difference between the executive branch and the legislative branch. Because I think that while she is, while she was a senator for eight years, Clinton's time in politics has been completely defined by the work that she did in two separate White Houses. Mm-hmm. You know, she was she was first lady for eight years in the '90s, but she was extremely involved in po- in policy in Clinton's white in Bill Clinton's White House given her remarkable credentials. And I think that she kind of illustrates the way that a president is a occasionally trapped into making decisions that lead to bad outcomes and B is held so much more fiercely accountable for the things that they do. So a a really good example that I think is worth bringing up is uh, the defense of marriage act which right which it's obviously signed during clinton's presidency yeah exactly it was signed in 1996 and and that's all that you'll hear and if you listen to some very anti uh hillary clinton people 
they'll say, well, her husband signed the Defense of Marriage Act. So, and then it kind of ties into the thing that she said about, we're taping this the day after she talked about all the work the Reagan administration did during the AIDS crisis, when actually for almost the entire Reagan administration, they did very little. But what is not seen is that for starters, the Defense of Marriage Act would have passed anyway. It had what is called a veto-proof majority. So what would have happened is even if Bill Clinton had vetoed the bill, it would have gone back to Congress. They would have overridden his veto and it would have become law anyway. It was also in 1996 when he was up for re-election. And I think that if he had vetoed that bill, it would have been really damaging to him. Because as, as difficult as it can be for people to to acknowledge this because i think a lot of particularly much more socially liberal people don't want to don't want to think about that this was true in even in our lifetimes because we were both you know young kids in 1996 the type of views of, of marriage equality were completely were completely unacceptable yeah it was it was either you believed that marriage was between a man or a woman or you were wrong and it's troubling that that's in, like you said, I mean, I was six, you were four, we, but we were alive when that was happening. And to see how drastically different it is in the vast majority of the United States today, it's, it's almost unbelievable. But you're right. We can't imagine the, the societal pressure that the Clintons were under to support this idea. Yeah, and, and I think it's worth noting that Clinton said, and I mean Bill Clinton at the time, said that he thought the bill was unnecessary and too stringent. And he signed it anyway because he didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. Because he had a lot of critics, even when he was in the White House and even at his most successful. <laughs> right, and even before the even the Monica Lewinsky even scandal. Even before the Lewinsky scandal. And th- him vetoing that bill, even though it so clearly had the support of almost all of Congress, would have been really politically damaging for him. It's just a reality. And I think that that gives an example of how, as president... There are times where you have to do things that go against what you t- may necessarily believe in. And not, not necessarily just as president. When you are tasked with governing a nation that has a large number of people and with it a vast disparity in views in some cases. But, you know, this isn't just a presidential issue. This is an everybody who's in government issue. I think president more so than any other branch of government because you're under the microscope to a greater degree. A great example. And by the way, I have no idea what Hillary Clinton's feelings were on the Defense of Marriage Act. It's possible mm-hmm. she was in support mm-hmm. of it. It's possible she wasn't. All I know is that in that particular political context, she didn't have as much of a choice to decry it as people may assume that she did. And I think that that context is important. But the thing is, you can compare that against when you talk about accountability, Bernie Sanders voted against the Defense of Marriage Act. And for that, I I greatly applaud him. But Mm -hmm. Sanders gets a lot of credit for those decisions without acknowledging that in those same situations, Hillary Clinton had no choice but to make the decisions that she made, whereas Sanders was able to vote the way that he wanted. Because, frankly, nobody really cared how an independent legislature, le- legislator from Vermont voted on the Defense of Marriage Act. Yeah, it, it just wasn't. I mean, if yeah. Sanders hadn't run for president this year, he would have been a footnote even in congressional history. 
he wasn't under that type of presidential microscope. And I think Sanders has been lucky enough to dodge that type of scrutiny, and I think that that is the key to absolutely everything people like about him. Sanders can vote against the 2009 bailout and the stimulus plan because he thinks that it's too easy on the billionaires on Wall Street. And regardless of how you feel about the billionaires on Wall Street, the question is, if if people like Clinton hadn't voted for that bill, and if Obama hadn't signed that bailout, there's no way of knowing what would have happened. Yeah, especially because things are not as good as they could be, obviously, in this country, but I think it's difficult to say that the bailout wasn't a success. I mean, we were, I don't know if anybody really fully, us included, the two of us included, I don't think any of us really understood how much danger we were in during that collapse. And the the fact is that the bailout bounced this country back economically. Yeah. Uh, it certainly wasn't perfect, but, you know, your mind goes wild imagining what might have happened if the banks had been allowed to default. Yeah, exactly. I agree with Sanders that working Americans should not have been responsible for shouldering the entire bailout. I, I don't think it sends the right message, and I don't think it held the people who really crashed the American economy accountable. But I don't think that making those people pay for the Wall Street bailout was ever actually a feasible option. There, There's no way that any Republican in Congress would have voted for it. Mm -hmm. And I guess my number one question about Sanders is he has been able to dodge those types of decisions for most of his career. And the question is, how will he vote? on those types of issues and where will he stand on those issues when his hand is forced in the way that Bill Clinton's hand and and by um, extension Hillary's hand was forced with the Defense of Marriage Act for example I have no idea all I know is that I think the most powerful weapon that Clinton has against Sanders is pointing out the instances where he's voted against bills with very important provisions in them because he didn't like everything about them those are the kinds of things he's not going to have the opportunity to do as president. And here's an instance where Sanders, the one time Sanders has been under legitimate political pressure, and that issue is guns. People can talk all they want about how consistent he is, but the fact of the matter is that Sanders is certainly not a darling of the NRA, but he also is much more pro-gun than the average Democratic senator, I would say. I would say he's more pro-gun than Clinton is, and I don't think even Sanders would deny that. Well, yeah, Sanders is in a very difficult situation. And, and it's interesting that you talk about this because this is exactly kind of what's happening. His, his feet are finally being held to the fire about guns. And frankly, he hasn't done a great job dealing with it. One of the things you pointed out was liability for gun companies. He goes from saying, I'm, I want to do everything in my power to make sure that these shootings don't happen. And then within that very same... Uh, debate. It was it was in the same answer. Yeah, he he says that this kind of liability would effectively stop gun production in the United States, which first of all is incorrect, and second of all, dismissing that that solution a possibility whether it would work or not out of hand after saying he would want to do whatever to make it stop it suggests a guy who who hasn't been pushed and doesn't really believe in the kind of stringent gun control that most certainly liberal Democrats uh, believe in. And, and what's frustrating to me as somebody who is very strongly in favor of gun control, I see Bernie Sanders saying that he wants gun control solutions in a nebulous sense, but always dismissing 
real gun control reform because at the end of the day he doesn't believe in it. yeah and and i i think that that's something that sanders he just he absolutely gets a pass on it just objectively speaking i mm-hmm. think if clinton had the kind of views on guns on that sanders has on a different issue i think it would be in the eyes of some of sanders's uh supporters completely unforgivable but i think i guess the central point is that um, and actually, I think this pivots nicely to another huge difference between the candidates, which is foreign policy. Not necessarily so much their beliefs, but definitely their experience levels. I think that this election displays pretty clearly that a lot of American, a lot of American voters don't understand how complicated foreign policy is, and that it can be difficult for people to accept that there are certain scenarios where there is no positive outcome. There is a bad outcome and a worse outcome. Clinton has a lot of experience in foreign policy. Sanders does not. And Sanders's counter to that obvious deficiency in experience is that judgment is more valuable than experience. And he has referenced the fact that he voted against the Iraq war in, in literally every foreign policy discussion that they've had during a debate. And by the way, I'm, I'm not interested in discrediting him for that. It took a lot for him to vote against that war. And history has proven that he was right. But I think that whether to invade Iraq is a clear-cut decision compared to some of the ones he would have to make as commander-in-chief. And I think that that's something that people don't totally acknowledge. Well, the Iran nuclear deal is a great example. Obviously, I don't think anybody's thrilled with the prospect of a nuclear Iran, but the reality is that is probably the best of a large pack of bad and probably worse options. And there was no way that that Obama was going to make that decision that was going to make him look good. And and I think I think maybe the best example of Obama's presidency, and I think something that might be forever attached to him, was the situation in Syria. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure that it hurt Obama that the Syrian conflict continues to go on, and America has, by and large, not done much about it. But I think that you have to look at it from the standpoint that Iraq and Afghanistan are good examples of where the United States got involved to their great detriment and Mm -hmm. it's easy to argue that obama should have gotten involved in syria but that's because we don't know what would have happened if we had we don't know what type of onerous burden it would put on the economy or if it would have turned into a 12-year commitment the way that iraq did there's just there's no way of knowing that well yeah uh, sanders and this is um a little bit of an assumption based on his beliefs or at least his stated political party democratic socialism when it comes to foreign policy is largely one of non-interventionism and that's one of those policies and beliefs that is very easy in a vacuum to to take it's easy to say well our interference has proven to be a negative influence in a lot of cases and so we just shouldn't do that but it's a lot harder when you know if bernie is sitting behind the desk of the oval office and is said okay there are 10,000 Syrians who are going to die, do we get involved? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think this is kind of what you're talking about. And so it's easy to sit back and take pot shots at, at Obama and Clinton. Well, well, Clinton really for probably what people would describe as hawkish tendencies. Yeah. But Sanders has the, the benefit of not having to be in the position to actually make a call like that. So he can just say, obviously, we shouldn't get involved because our influence can be very negative. Whereas when it comes to Clinton like she, or, or Obama, they really have to weigh the human costs of that kind of 
attitude. And and beyond that, he hasn't had his feet held to the fire in the context of this campaign and on foreign policy either. I think it's so easy for him to pivot to his domestic policy. In part, it's very inspiring. And in part, because people don't really want to talk about foreign policy. They don't want to hear about it. Because it's extremely yeah. difficult to understand, and in most cases, it really doesn't affect anyone here. That's the type right. of big picture politics that a lot of people don't like to think about. And of course, the irony is, as you say a lot, one of the only places where the president can directly influence um, American policy during their tenure is in foreign policy. Because so much of domestic policy is controlled by the legislature. Oh, absolutely. And I think that that's another huge thing that I think that's an advantage that Clinton has over Sanders that actually I don't think that she's exercised. And I think mm -hmm. that that's part of the critique you could make of her skill as a campaigner, which <laughs> she, she, she has not run great campaigns in her career. This is the second time where she has been a sure thing nomination for the presidency and has faced significant challenges in that election. But I think when you look at Sanders' foreign policy and you acknowledge the fact that given how extreme his agenda is, it seems impossible that he could get any of his tax raises, any of his infrastructure spending plans, any of his college payment plans through a conservative Congress when Obama was much more moderate or in comparison to Sanders and mm -hmm. basically got well, stonewalled. And I mean, he was a... He was a moderate liberal, but he was certainly a moderate. And I think that's a lot of the frustration. As somebody who certainly doesn't consider himself a moderate, I share when it comes to Bernie. Like, Bernie believes that, no, we need to go further, whereas you see, look at Clinton, and it can be easy if you get into a negative place with her to look at her and say, well, she's basically um, a moderate conservative. And, and it's something that I understand, but I would hope people don't believe. Mm -hmm. uh, I've seen, I mean, it's less common now, which is good. But for a while, the argument has always been that Hillary's basically a Republican or, or Hillary is a Republican from 25 years ago. And her moderation and Obama's moderation can be frustrating for somebody who looks at our country and thinks that we need real drastic change. But she may be more conservative than you want but she is certainly not anywhere yeah. near the order of conservative that we're seeing from from the republican party especially not amongst their presidential candidates and so that's an important thing to kind of deal with yeah and so and i think the point to make you talk about the extreme conservatism on the other side of the aisle and that's not going away sanders can talk about his political revolution all he wants but with the exception of a few, quote unquote, Sanders congressional congressmen who are trying to sort of ride his wave into into Congress, that political revolution is not coming this November. He's not going to have majorities in both houses if he takes office. And there's been little acknowledgement of that. And I think that Clinton has had and I think that Clinton has failed to make a point of that. And well, I, I, I think there's a reason for that, because she can't say that. One of the things that is, has been most valuable about Bernie Sanders as a candidate beyond his views has been his desire to empower and inspire a portion of the electorate that has felt disenfranchised by the two-party system. Yeah, and, 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 and it's not in Hillary's interest, and frankly, it's not in the country's interest, nor is it in the interest of Bernie Sanders supporters to, to pop that bubble as drastically as 
saying, well, that revolution's not here yet. Because I think, fairly, that is going to turn a lot of people off from being involved. And, and that's why I don't think she's pushing that point, because it has such profound negative ramifications, not just for her campaign, but for the Democratic Party in general. And the worst thing that I think for particularly the most ardent um, Democrats to believe is that their vote's not going to matter. And I think that right. a Clinton candidacy makes some people feel that way. And by the way, I know I speak for both of us when I say, even despite of all that we're saying, that the revolution's not coming now, that Sanders, if he was elected, is going to face a greatly divided Congress that probably won't pass any of his any of the mm -hmm. legislation he's running on. That doesn't change the fact that people still do need to vote. And if you believe in what Sanders is saying, you still need to vote for it, even if he isn't the nominee. I think that what this really brings us to is I think that Sanders is the type of candidate that we want as people. He appeals to the desire to see the nation changed when it is struggling and to see it changed quickly. And I think that Clinton is the type of politician that we're stuck with. And I mean that to say, I think that it's a very telling thing that when people talk about how Clinton has changed her mind over her career, I think that that really is as much a commentary on moderate partisanship versus extreme partisanship, which is Clinton being the moderate partisan and, and Sanders being the extreme partisan. Part of being near the middle of the road means changing your policies to accommodate the context. In that sense, you made a really good point when we were talking about this podcast last night. In some ways, she is a representative in the purest sense, meaning that as her constituents change, as, for example, society has become more liberal, she has become more liberal with it. But I think that ultimately, I think Clinton, like her husband before her, actually, I think that her greatest asset as a politician is something that people don't really want to admit is effective, which is to look into the vast context of a certain political climate and sense a winning move and really exploiting that system to suit what you want to do rather than blowing that system up. I think there's a, there's a lot of understandable frustration around that. I think uh, one of the things that a friend of ours, a very close friend of ours was talking about is that Hillary puts a lot of value in political expediency and the ability to do things. And the issue that a lot of, I think, highly liberal people have with Hillary, even less so than with Obama, because you don't get the sense that he feels the same way, something that is done but is moving in the wrong direction is not a good thing. I think a lot of people in a perfect world... Well, well moving... Um, can, I, can I just jump in for a yeah, second? I think moving yeah. in the wrong direction, I think when you say that, you mean not a binary. As in, moving in the wrong direction could mean not going in the sort of extreme change direction. Well, no, not necessarily... I, I guess, well, sort of, yeah. It, the, the, one of the good examples I can think of of what you're talking about is the Affordable Care Act, actually. In many ways, the Affordable Care Act is a very positive thing. You know, it's provided health care for a lot of people. It's not without its faults, obviously. Some people have been negatively affected by it. But I think, by and large, if you look at the statistics, it is a positive change for America. The problem with it, beyond the sort of negatives of the realities of, of policy, which is that it won't positively affect everybody, it also serves as a roadblock to uh, a more 
socialized single payer type healthcare system. Right. Because A, it is an opportunity for conservatives to say, well, look, this is what we have. Don't you want this? And as it continues to exist, much like the old healthcare system, which it had to navigate around, any sort of system uh, similar to what Bernie's talking about with something like the extension of Medicare to the entire country, there is a roadblock there because the healthcare institutions are now operating around the Affordable Care Act, which means that virtually you would have to strip it away and then put something back. And that can cause a lot of uh, difficulty. And, and so when I, when I talk about doing things, you're right. It's not always necessarily moving in the, in the wrong direction. Sometimes it's moving in the right direction too slowly. Yeah. The problem with that is that you think about it almost like a stalagmite or, or, or a stalactite. When the rock starts to form, all the rest of the water has to go around the rock that's formed. Right. And so if it bulbs up or it causes a problem, it's harder for the water to flow in that direction sometimes, even though it's all pulling toward the same place. Right. And so I think part of the frustration with, with Hillary is that in not moving fast enough, you inadvertently create roadblocks to the direction you really want to go in. And, and so like it's great that she gets things accomplished, but um, I think getting things accomplished isn't always... Incremental change, I think, is the only real way change can happen in this country. I think it's designed that way. Yeah, absolutely. But incremental change can be an obstacle to watershed change if you're not too, if you're not careful. And I think that's some of the trepidation people have about Hillary. And one of the reasons why I still lean towards Sanders, even though I, I would never question whether I would vote for Hillary. And I have serious qualms about this, as you said, this revolution that Bernie is creating, not showing up soon enough and turning off a lot of the goodwill that he's created. And I think that that's a really good point in that if you do a more incremental solution, it can give an opportunity for either people to say, well, we don't need to deal with that because we fixed that already, mm -hmm. or even more destructively, it gives people an opportunity to say, well, this didn't work that well, so we have to tear it down. Whereas in many cases, in reality, if something that has been established and it's not working that well and it's not fixing the entire problem, usually it needs to be built upon rather than torn down mm. and started over from scratch. And the, the one of the major reasons why I'm a little bit nervous about a Bernie Sanders presidency is as a pretty strong democratic socialist it concerns me that not only is incremental change does it like you said create that desire to kind of knock it down if it doesn't work and start over i also think there are times when you look at it and and if you look at a bernie sanders presidency with a congress that i can't conceive of being any less than red at any point certainly during his first four years if he even gets a second term if he even runs for a second term it can provide a, a resume for people who oppose democratic socialism to say, look, you got this as a president and we got nothing. And so not only does it make you want to tear it down, it may even serve as an incentive to go in the opposite direction. And what I think we're going to see is I think that history will look back on Sanders as a starting point rather than a culmination. He, he's positioned himself as sort of the crest of this political revolution that will put him in the White House and will put a lot of people in Congress who feel the same way he does. 
I actually, I actually don't think he positions himself. If you, if you don't mind me jumping in, I don't think he positions himself as the crest. I think what he sees himself as is the stone that falls into a pond and generates the ripples. Like I, I think what he's, what he's thinking is he is building this wave that will wash over and begin this sort of political revolution. I don't think he thinks of himself as a culmination. And I think that's part of the problem because... Well, he, he needs to be more clear about that, honestly, because he certainly talks like he's the crest of the wave. Well, I, I mean, I, no, I mean, I if he's no, no, no. Listen, it, li- mm-hmm. if he's not the crest of the wave, I don't understand how he thinks any of his policies will get enacted. Because, because I think he sees himself as the one inciting the revolution, and that's that's wishful thinking, I think, on his part, that he thinks he can be both the the impetus and the result. Yeah, he he's the starting point, but the revolution is going to come quickly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I certainly don't think he thinks the revolution is happening. Yeah. Or, or at the very least, that it had been happening. Well, in but in reality, what I think is, I think that what he's proven is that there is a wanting for his type of social, social democracy policy, and I think that it's possible that we could see things tilt that way, particularly as the young voters, who are the base of his support, gain further and further of a foothold. I think that he's proven that there is an audience and there is a wanting for his type of policy and for his type of politician. I think that if we feel the full effects of his type of political revolution, quote unquote, that he talks about, then I don't think that we're actually going to see the effects of that for another several election cycles. And I think it's all about whether the people who have powered his election so far will turn out to vote this election and the one after and the one after. What his supporters need to understand is that it has to be an extended commitment to this thing, and that's the only way it's going to work. And my only hope is, if he does not win the nomination, and I think even despite the strides he's made, I think it's still greatly against him, I hope that he makes that clear, that this needs to be built on, and that his, his supporters need to keep building on that. They need to be the agent of that change. I think that that basically caps off everything that I have to say on this. Do you have anything mm-hmm. you want to add before we uh, before we wrap this up? Yeah, I, I guess I just want to have one small thing to say. Um, I am somebody who is 100% behind Bernie from a, pl- a political standpoint. I think the only problem I have with Bernie Sanders is that I believe that he should have been the capstone to a movement that started at the local level and consolidated power through the states and through the legislature and the president should have been the final piece i don't think our system is designed so that the president comes in and triggers a trickle-down effect of political belief yeah even if bernie does get elected i don't think we're going to see a lot of the policies that he's saying and that doesn't mean that they can't happen or they won't happen it just means that he is he is going very much against the current not necessarily of this country because I actually think he's with the current of this country, if you see how people vote. But he is going against the current of the way our legislature is currently populated and structured. Yeah. And so don't lose heart if these policies don't come to fruition. I think the revolution is coming. And I think that a more liberal socialist worldview in this country is coming. But we have to keep... Um, we have to keep fighting for that and supporting that and not losing faith if it doesn't happen overnight because it won't. Yeah, and and by the way, I I don't know whether it's actually coming, but I I what I 
what I really mean to say is I think that if it happens, it'll happen later. You said 10 years. I think it's actually probably closer to 20 just because things move at a really glacial pace. I think actually the irony is I think Sanders getting elected would probably be worse for his greater movement because mm-hmm. I think that it would be mm-hmm. really easy for his opponents, even within his own party, to point to his presidency and the little it inevitably will get done. Right, as, and say, see, he's too radical. Exactly. This will never work. His his ideology is a failing. Yeah. So I, I hope you enjoyed this. I hope we didn't get too, uh, too deep about it for mm-hmm. you all, but somehow election day is still eight months away yeah so um, get ready it's gonna be fun yeah we'll we'll see what happens uh we're going to wrap this up with something much more light we yeah. have a new segment yes it's called you probably haven't heard of them and in this segment i will present mick or mick will present me with a band and it is his job to guess whether it's a real thing or not i'm ready so what i have for you today is a little outfit uh, out of montreal canada they're a band called uh, Roadside, and they're sort of like a, like an alt-folk, you know, yeah, they're like they're, it's a very alt kind of style on folk, so they use kind of Pacific Northwest guitars, um, but with a sort of folk delivery and folk subject. Uh, and they're just about to release their first album. They have a couple really cool singles. And yeah, so do you think they're a real band or not? You said Roadside? Roadside. No. Okay, you would be right. Woo! Although, although they, 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 there is a band called Pine Grove, wh- who are from New Jersey. They just released an album called Cardinal. It, they are a real band. It's a great record. Uh, if th- It's very similar to how I, I kind of describe them, kind of alt-country folk uh, style singing and themes set in a very sort of indie rock, gauzy, like Death Cab for Cutie style instrumental situation. And they're a really cool band. Uh, it's worth checking out. Pine Grove, uh, the album's called Cardinal, just came out this year. It's one of my favorite records so far this year, so it's worth a listen. All right. Well, um, I think that's everything. Yeah. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, mm-hmm. As always. Please uh, follow us on Twitter at uh, one on one pod. That's numeral one on numeral one pod. Listen to us on iTunes. Leave us a review if you like the podcast because – we, we would love to get your feedback. If you have any suggestions for a topic you want us to cover, you should do that too. Uh, and yeah, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can also follow us on SoundCloud, on Stitcher. We just got on Stitcher, so if that's your thing, please do. But yeah, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate uh, all you who, who tune in. That's all we got. Thanks, Obama. <laughs> <laughs>